how should you approach saves in 2021, and a recap of the Labor Mixed Auction League draft. We'll talk to Alex Fast of PitcherList next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, coming right off the uh, LABR mixed auction uh, that uh, you and I did together. Uh, how you feel so far? I think we both did well. I think it was a little exhausting, and I think it was a lot yeah. of fun. I think we actually did pretty well. I think we constructed our team very well, and I think that we zigged when we should have zagged a couple times but we did that because that's the way the draft went yeah i'm a little bit of horse just uh talking to you during the whole thing uh but we have somebody else who uh did it with someone else uh alex fast is on the line vice president of pitcher list welcome to the show alex you guys thanks so much for having me i'm so excited to be back it feels like we've all run a marathon together it really feels like we all just like uh we all went through the grind together and we all made it out the other side and here we are yeah yeah so uh, today on the show, we're going to do uh, our talk about relief pitchers and how to actually draft relief pitchers, um, a couple of closer situations that are worth, uh, worthy. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, about our, our auction draft that just happened, just to see if we can uh, take some um, general information down. Maybe we see something that's going on for this year. Um, maybe we picked up on anything and uh, maybe some good things that you did, some bad things that you did, so on and so forth. Uh, so, Alex, you, you drafted with, with Nick Pollock, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So what, what was your uh, first reaction here? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So Nick and I, last year, the way the first time we did labor, Nick was unable to come down to Florida. So what we did is we had so much game planning. We spent, you know, the five or six nights together on like, on a, you know, coming down on the plane, spending the, the nights in the hotel room together, really coming up with this rigid game plan. And then just because of, you know, my involvement and in tout and everything going the way that it is with the pandemic and the 6.0 launch, we didn't get on the same page until a few, maybe a day or so before the draft. And I think we both kind of embraced like, you know what, we're going to come into this and we're going to see how the auction unfolds because you guys have done plenty of these. You know that sometimes sure. there's really no way of predicting how it's going to go. And in some ways that benefited us and in some ways that didn't benefit us. Um, one of the ways I think that it did benefit us is I think we were a little more willing to go the extra dollar earlier on for certain guys. And I don't know if you guys got the impression, but I don't know if I've been ever been a part of an auction where more money came off the table so quickly. It felt like within two hours, everyone was like almost near or at $100. Did you guys feel that way? Well, the first round, the money went in the first round, the first uh, 12 picks, they were going so much that we actually had to alter our plan. Our plan, We had an initial plan of nominating a certain player, mm -hmm. and we weren't able to because we decided not to because we thought that if we nominated this player, it would be ridiculously amount high. The mm. prices were so insane that any player that was, that was nominated just went so much higher than everyone else would. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but before what we do before the auction is we come up, obviously, with our own set of values that we think a player is worth. But we also have an estimate as to what we think the market would pay. Um, you know, for this, we took um, pretty much NFBC ADP because that's uh, 
you know, very comparable to this. This is a five by five standard draft here. We took as many uh, twelve team leagues as we can find because that's more comparable. And in terms of the prices, I took last year's mixed labor results one through one through uh, two hundred. You know, just to get the curve. So. Uh, because these are the same players as last year. So if, let's say, the top player went for 50 last year, I set the top ADP at $50 this year. Mm-hmm. And the next player went 48 last year, whatever the number two ADP was, 48 this year. And so on and so on, uh, so on and so forth, all the way down, just to get a, a pretty good feel for how prices would go. What I noticed here was that our ADP values were pretty spot on for players, except for the first 15 picks. I thought that the first 15 picks that went, the first round and a half or so, were way above. We're talking 5 $6, way above what I even thought would be very high, which was even more above what I was willing to pay for anyone. Uh, so that's what I noticed. And... Um, I've been to auctions that, that do this. I've also been to very tame auctions that, you know what, it's a little bit lower than what I predict, pre- projected. And in that case, I do want to play up high. So I, I, I did want to go through whatever reaction I had and, and go with it. But I really prepared for a certain amount. And when we saw, just as Ruben said, when we saw that the first 15 were going too high, we altered our nomination strategy and said, we're, we're not nominating a player that we want. <laughs> we ain't going to get him. It's going to go way over. Yeah, definitely. We felt the same way. I mean, until the, you know, kind of obviously at the end of the draft there where it was like, all right, let's just get some of these big names off the board. And, you know, it, it's it's funny because, you know, well, two things. One, I the way that I prepared for talent and the way that I prepared a little bit for labor were very similar in that, you know, uh, you know follow the guy who writes the articles who wins the leagues and that's you Ario, right and, and figure out who uh who what the strategy is right and um you know it was really beneficial then for me to pull the atc values uh as updated as i could get them put them into the fangraphs auction calculator and then that gave me a good idea as to maybe what your threshold was going to be for a certain players. Cause I think there were a, a few players in the, in the middle where it was, you know, me, you and Nick and Ruben, right. obviously right. going back and forth on things and being able to, to find that threshold. So I have to thank you for that because that, that information really changes how people come into drafts. And then the, the other thing is, you know, what do you do in a league when with, you know, when when Jake Seeley is in it, when it comes to pitching, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's no way. You kind of have to think to yourself, like, okay, I'm not going to be able to get, in all likelihood, who knows, of course, I'm not going to be able to get the best ERA and whip and strikeouts if one guy has Bauer, Bieber, and Scherzer. It could very well happen, right, of course. Right. But how do you, how did you, I'm curious to hear, how did you guys adjust knowing that, okay, we might not win it, but we still want to come damn as close to as we can. Well, we loved we we loved it. We we loved the fact that he took those guys because you know what? Some of those, most of those guys that he took were not in our plan. And if it wasn't in our plan, then we were we. It didn't affect us at all. Not only that, it took all his money off the board. He was he was literally sitting around doing nothing for almost an hour, just waiting for all the values to come back down. And we were able to get the pitching that we still wanted because our plan happened to not coincide to his plan, so it worked out. Yeah, and and um, you know one of the things that I did last year with labor and tout is I scouted other other players, um, not so much to know what player they're gonna pick. I I mean I, I I don't really need to know that. I'm more interested in where they're gonna play. And Jake Seeley, we knew was gonna just go nuts on some top pitching. 
mm -hmm. was just going to go there. So I did not want to get into a bidding war, and I did not want to create a plan with Ruvain uh, on, on picking any of the big players. Um, so, you know, our plan was get a mid-20s player, get a low-20s player, get a high-teens player for pitching because there would be less people around that area to fight. Same thing with the very top hitters. We were not not interested in playing in the $48 range, which you you guys took Mookie Betts. Sealy took Ronald Acuna at 51. Mike Trout went for 47 to Brian Feldman. Uh, we, we were not interested in playing in that area and going for bidding wars, so our plan was a little bit different. So that's where scouting really helps. If you know the players, if you play in the same league with guys every year and you know where people like to play, it doesn't matter about the exact players that they like. It matters where they like to play in dollars. We have a home league where one gentleman just does the same thing every year where he just bids three top hitters and two top pitchers and goes dollar days. Well, we're not going to get involved in a lot of those bidding wars, uh, and that's, that's one thing I learned. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if I recall correctly, last year one of the players that we bid the most on was Christian Yelich, and I don't think we went even that that crazy on him. And, you know, this year it was kind of like, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm in a few leagues this year, as I'm sure both of you are as well, and I think one of the things that I'm trying to do is just like really try and approach each one differently because I've, I've kind of found in the past couple of years, and you guys can let me know if you feel the same way, that like – you come up with your projections and you try and make them as accurate as possible, but sometimes because you're following these projections, some of your teams can look a little bit too similar. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. I actually end up getting this guy where I want to because I think he's always a really good value. So I, I, I allowed Nick to push me a little bit more out of my comfort zone than I usually would. And that would include going $48 on a guy like Mookie Betts. Um, that would include, you know, going like $30 on a guy like Manny Machado, although I don't think that's like the worst thing in the world. No. So I think for me, it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to have... Uh, I'm gonna t take a different approach here, especially when it came when it came to pitching. I mean, like I, I was telling t talking to Nick, like we don't really have an SP three. You know, our I, I'm I'm very confident with Nola and Lynn. I think that's a very fine start, but we don't have an SP three. Soroka has that upside, of course, if he can prove to be healthy. That's of course a major question mark. Um, Tyler Molly, wonderful upside. Aaron Savali, wonderful upside. But once again, to reiterate, no real SP three, which you know put us into a, a, a tricky situation. That's why we. We got Cindergard at the end there, hoping that maybe by June we could have that kind of SP3 there for us. Were you guys as concerned with, you know, Bueller and Glasnow Lamette upside through the roof, all three with with either innings pitch concerns from Bueller or uh, injury risks with Glasnow and uh, Lamette? Yeah. Um, for, for me, um, the values that we got from this, um, if you project the innings that ATC projected, which are not a lot of innings for either of these pitchers. I know they if they pitch full seasons, if they pitch more, which is a very good possibility, these guys are worth even more. They were a bargain at the values we projected. Um, whenever you have and a tip for other people, whenever you have a pitcher with a projection, uh, and there's a, and it's based on a lower amount of innings. Do the math. Do the sensitivity test. If you add 10 innings, where does the value go? If you drop 10 innings, where does the value go? And if the cost is fine for the innings that you draft. So, for example, we got Lamette at, at $14. We projected him for, as about an $18 pitcher with about 130 innings. If he's only going to pitch 110 innings, he's still worth that $14 cost from the ratios he puts up. So you want a sensitivity test how the innings are going to go to see at what price point can you still buy the player and you can still have a number of innings gone. That's how I look at it. 
Well, another thing, though, um, we went into this. We did not think we were going to get Lamette. We didn't think we were going to get Walker Bueller. We, we actually it came on the fly. We're like, you know what? Let's bid and let's see how high we can go or how high we're willing to go. And you know what? Bueller happened to fall on our laps. We weren't thinking we were going to get him. We came in thinking, you know, we want to go a little bit lower, maybe start with a Luis Castillo-type pitcher, just a drop lower. We don't want one of the top main pitchers, but it just happened that way. I mean, Alex, did you think you were going to have Nola being the head of your staff? Yeah, to be honest, I think well, I didn't necessarily. Nick was like kind of more all about that. I kind of wanted to go either the extra dollar for Bueller or the extra dollar for Darvish. I personally believe in the changes that Nola made last year. I really believe in the uh, increased changeup usage. I believe in how his curveball was able to sit high in terms of swinging strike rate, one of the higher in his career, and kind of turn that around. And I also think that he's going to give us a good amount of innings. Um, Overall, I mean, I think the thing is, after we got Nola and Lynn, I think I was really comfortable where we were at in terms of a wins and innings pitched floor. And then from there, I wanted to get a little bit riskier. I think the thing that I got most upset about was not being able to get a guy like McCullers, who actually I was very, am very high on uh, coming we, into the we year. We knew you were going to go for him at, at some point also. Yeah, he was just someone that I, I, I really thought that we could try to go the extra dollar on. It, it was funny. It's just one of those drafts where when it felt like we should go the extra dollar we went for the extra dollar at the wrong time and the times where we should have gone for the extra dollar, we didn't. Uh, and it just seemed, it seemed like we weren't necessarily on the same page, which was good. I mean, I don't think Nick's going to have any problem with me saying this. It's not like we were contentious throughout the draft. It just didn't, I don't know if it necessarily ended up, uh, we might've been playing on our heels a bit more than we wanted to. Right. What was your biggest regret of the draft? Uh, doing it. Uh, no, um, my biggest, <laughs> no, my biggest regret of the draft. It's a great question. Probably going, um, the extra dollar or two on Stanton. Um, I mean, okay. Stanton's, Stanton's a guy that like, in, you know, if it finally happens, if we finally see him play the games that he's supposed to play, then yes, he can he can exceed that value. Um, but to not only have that liability, but in a spot in which, you know, he can't really be shifted out of, um, right, it, it right. just doesn't afford you the flexibility that you really want. Um, so I wasn't absolutely in love with that. Uh, and then, yeah, just not having that SP3. So I don't know if that, that really coincides with a pick. That might be just more so on the picks that we or the uh, um, pitchers that we missed out on. But I would so say those are the two biggest regrets I have. Right. Ruvain, what do you think the biggest regret was for you? I think the biggest regret that we got was Salvador Perez. We, yeah, we wanted yeah, a catcher. Yeah. We, we, only, we only wanted to spend about $10 on a catcher. And we ended up spending 18 on Salvador Perez. We were like, okay, we valued him at, let's say, I think we valued him at either 16 or 17. And we valued him and we're like, okay, we're at 14. Okay, we're at 16. And whoops, we went too much and we, we went overboard. And it sort of played into how we dealt with the rest of the, our, our draft because we, at that point, we only had, I think, one or two outfielders. And it affected our whole entire outfield that we had to find players that are going to fit us properly and that we can have the right amount of money left because it, it just screwed up our whole entire budget. But we had money to play with because we ended up not going, you know, big with we got one big closer, which we actually tried to freeze the room. And I think we did freeze the room with yes. um, Edwin Diaz at 17. Yes. No one else wanted him. So we did that, which actually helped us, you know, plan out the rest of the thing. And because of that. Our pitching is, I don't like our starting pitchers that much. I mean, yes, we had three top good ones, but we actually bulked up on relievers because we didn't like our pitchers so much, our starting pitchers. We'll talk about relievers in a second, but yeah, that was my biggest regret also. Um, the thing about catchers, especially in a two-catcher league, is you know, there's some sense of uh, the, the fact that there's a replacement level that the 30th catcher really stinks. 
And when you're paying, you're not paying for the actual stats of a catcher. You're paying for the privilege not to draft the 30th best catcher. Hmm. And the question is, what does the market want? How does it bump up? If you if we pay $18 for Salvador Perez, that's fine as long as everybody else in the market is going a little bit higher than they should, right? It, it matters what the rest of the room is doing. Problem is, we didn't get gauge that market premium correctly on the catchers. JT Ramuto went for 18. We paid 18 for Salvador Perez. Wilson Contreras, 14. Uh, next catcher, Yasmani Grandal, 7. Uh, so you can see that the market premium... Uh, was less than we paid. We paid oh, more. Will Smith at 11, by the way, too. Will Smith at 11, right. I would much rather have Will Smith at 11 or Grandal 7 than the Salvador Perez at 18. Problem is that, you know, he came up and, you know, at that point we needed uh, some power and we had the money. So, you know, figured let's do that and hopefully somebody will go crazy on, on Will Smith and then it would make our numbers look well. Hard to gauge that. We did a poor job of gauging the market premium. We probably should have stuck to our intuition that the value would have come out of somebody like Grandal and Contreras somewhere in the middle. Uh, but I like our, our second catcher, Dalton Varsho, for $2. The reason why I like him is that he's not going to play catcher. He's going to play outfield. He's mm-hmm. going to have a lot more at-bats than almost anybody else in the catcher field. And it's all about the counting stats. So a uh, good $2 bid in the end, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I dig that as well. That's why I was – I don't think anyone – yeah. I was curious about Carson Kelly too just because I don't know how many at-bats he's going to lose. Maybe when Dalton Varsho does move to outfield, which I do think he's going to pretty quick, he should get some good uh, uh, some good time there. But I, I, I was actually very shocked that Grendahl didn't shoot up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I saw that he was going at seven, I was like, wow, that just seems like, you know, with that team behind him, he always seems like he's kind of a guy that people are reaching for. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. Same with Travis Darno, to be honest. I really thought he was going to exceed – 10 bucks maybe have you know after the season that he had last year uh so that was a little surprising to me as well and what we what we actually tried to what we actually tried to do though is after we got salvador perez we actually started nominating catchers that we thought had a higher adp than what we valued them so hopefully they would go higher but that didn't work out yeah yeah listen you you know you're gonna get some things wrong and it's not that he was the wrong player he actually fits our team our team is actually light on power we've got plenty of steals we've got Kyle Lewis. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, who else we have? Dylan uh, Moore. Sorry. sorry, so not Kyle Lewis. We have Dylan Moore. Mm. Um, we have um, uh, Tim Trent Anderson, Grisham. Trent mm-hmm. Grisham, Ramiel Tapia. We've yeah. got plenty of steals. Yeah. So Salvador Perez actually does fit our team for what we need in the end. But, uh, you know, just at the time, I didn't like the price. Uh, we weren't planning on going heavy in the middle infield, but the, the value just came there. Um, you know, we got a, a nice Tim Anderson early by um, – I think the big thing about Tim Anderson is that we brought him out earlier than Bichette – earlier than Lindor, earlier than uh, Whit Merrifield. And because he was brought out earlier, people probably didn't go the extra buck or two thinking, I'll just wait for one of those other guys who I like yeah. better anyways. Yeah. Uh, and that, that left Tim Anderson uh, a bargain for us, and that let us go a couple of extra bucks on uh, Xander Bogarts and really lock down some of those counting stats with him. Yeah, definitely. I thought that was a really wise strategy, and that is a fun way to do it. I mean, I, th- I think that's actually one of my favorite parts about an auction is who am I going to nominate to screw over the other people the most? You know what I mean? Last year, my strategy was very, very much like I know people are going to spend on closers. Like I, it, it just it happens every year. So I actually think that was removed from me this year because there's such a wider knowledge of the volatility of the market. Uh, you know, when it comes to relievers this year, so I, I wasn't able to rely on that crutch quite as much. 
Right. So um, we're going to talk about relievers today, but uh, one thing that we did was we got four closers. Four mm. closers on a 12-team team. If you do the math, you really only need about two or two and a half or three closers. We decided to go quantity over quality. We got the high up Edwin Diaz, mm-hmm. and then we went Rafael Montero, Anthony Bass, and Joaquin Soria for some cheap amounts, taking a couple of stabs. Um, you know, the, tonight we're, we're going to talk our strategy section about about closers, and uh, you know, I'll throw it out to you. I know that uh, you did a great presentation last year at at uh, right around this time of year at first mm-hmm. pitch about. Uh, Closers are terrible investment bargains. They are just money losers. How can we draft closers? So what what is your general strategy of, of what you do in, in drafts or auctions? Yeah, you know, it's such a funny question. Like, obviously, you, you know, you came to that, and you, it was awesome to have you there. I, I think I – didn't I meet both of you then? Or, Reuven, did I meet you later at yeah. – uh, No, you met me – I was there. You met me there. there, yeah. Because uh, yeah, I, I, I always get that and uh, the other event that I was uh, confused. Um I keep complaining like, okay, well, you know, uh, the ideal thing is to go to a saves hold league. The ideal thing is to go to a saves hold league. And then I've gotten to tout and it was a saves hold league. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I got to really, I got to put my money where my mouth is. Um, I think usually what I do in leagues like this is if I try, I try and get the guy who either is the sure thing or is on a team where he's got people ahead of him who are elite enough that they're going to stay there and he's always going to maintain that closers role. Like one guy who actually comes to mind for me this year is Kenley Jansen, right? He's got so many fantastic relievers ahead of him that he he's like arguably not the, actually unarguably not the best reliever on the LA Dodgers, right? So they're going to be able to use Blake Trinan, Bruce Dahl, Joe Kelly, maybe even Corey Kniebel, um, Victor Gonzalez as well in high leverage situations, leaving Kenley Jansen the ninth inning, right? So I think he's a guy that's valuable. Um, obviously, your Liam Hendricks is really valuable, but then there's a guy like Nick Anderson who's the polar opposite of a Kenley Jansen, right? When I see the best reliever on a team is in the ninth inning spot, then I'm like, okay, there's a good chance he might not be the saves leader. Because as you mentioned in that presentation, as we see year in and year out and year in and year out, saves are being more evenly distributed across the bullpen than ever before, right? I can't quite accurately look at the 2020 sample size and say that that continued because obviously it's way too small. But I can almost imagine that it's going to happen again because, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like there is more, there are more nebulous situations involved in bullpens this year really than ever before, right? Those guys that are the quote-unquote lockdown capital C closers, they really feel like they're much more few and far between this year than ever before. Yeah, uh, no no doubt. Um you know uh what i've what i've seen is that in in general and of course this year as you said is is even even worse this year but the best investments come from not the elite closers we're not talking about like Hendricks at the very top or hater but the second tier that are locked down so for me it was uh, Iglesias and Diaz this year um those are probably the ones that are going to be more locked down. Now, I think Edwin Diaz brings another dimension to the game because of the strikeouts. Mm -hmm. You're getting 100-plus strikeouts in a year, uh, which is almost like an SP4. Uh, So it it just saves you from uh, having to pick these high strikeout guys. You can focus – if you have Diaz on your squad, you can focus on more ratios on your pitching staff and forget about strikeouts and it allows you to do that. Um, But – the key in return on investment is you either want high return or you want low investment. 
the cheaper, cheaper, cheaper people to me are the way to go, especially in a 12 team yeah. mixed league. Um, so what we did is we, we picked, you know, three darts. We got Edwin Diaz, who's going to lock it down. That's our base. And instead of trying to pay up for that middle tier, let's just throw some darts. Here's the other thing I will say. Um, everyone says that closers and saves are volatile, but the truth of the matter is it's less volatile in the first month because usually there is a set closer, and he's not losing his job in the first week of the season. So if you have four guys who have the role to start, even if they stink and get thrown out half the way in the year, you're starting the year with saves. So if you're going to – you don't have to play two closers, three closers, four closers. You get a choice. If I had seven closers, I could – play seven closers i want to front end the closers i want to play more starting pitchers later on more closers earlier because early in the season i don't really know if starters are good right i'd rather only play five starting pitchers who i know are solid rather than putting a sixth and a seventh for volume why do that earlier on pick a closer and throw in an extra closer or two who I know is going to get the save opportunity and later on in the year you can make up the innings by not having a closer. If one of your closers gets traded or one of your closers loses a job, so if you're down from four to three, you've already played it and used up his saves ability, and then you can stick an extra starter later on. And by the way, you'll know which teams have good lineups and bad lineups, and you can stream a lot better. It's easier to stream in July than it is in April. So you might as well play that to your advantage and set yourselves up to play closers earlier and more starters later. I will say, though, that does sound as if you're coming from predominantly a Roto standpoint, though, right? Yes, yes, for yes. sure. That's, uh, so that's an important caveat, too, because I feel like if you are going from head-to-head, you might not have that luxury because, theoretically, those guys who are losing those jobs are technically doing so because they were in a, you know insufficient in that role. So you might have to spend a little bit more. I mean, I, it feels weird to even say that because I, de- I overall, I definitely agree with your take. Like, it's fine to take those lower guys. Like, usually the guys that I would target are the good closers on poor teams. You know what I mean? Like, before yeah. Joe Jimenez was really poor, there was a stretch where he was a really great get. You know, there was always a guy in the Kansas City Royals, you know, albeit last year, like last year you could have gotten, um, I think it was Rosenthal last year, right? Uh, you could have gotten him or, you know, usually the, um, there have been times where the Orioles have had really great closers, uh, you know, even though they haven't been a great team, guys like the pirates have had good closers. Um, so I also, that's kind of like what I, uh, why I like what you did with Anthony Bass. Like he's the perfect example of someone that people think like, oh, well, it's the Marlins. They're probably not going to win a lot of games. Why would I go ahead and get Anthony Bass? If he maintains, if he keeps that role, I mean, yeah, he could be, he could be quite the steal for you. Well, that's that's what we're doing. We were actually at the toward the end of the draft. We were targeting these lower end team uh, picture uh, closers. We're looking for the Rich Rodriguez type. We're looking for the Anthony Bass type because you know what? Even they're they're gonna they have to get some wins. They are gonna get some saves if they get some saves, fifteen to twenty saves. That's great. And if you know, if one of these teams start out hot and they start out doing well, like the Royals did, I think on uh, in in two thousand nineteen, and and Shane Green racked up all these. I'm uh, not the Royals, the Tigers. He racked up all these saves in April. It just build you such a huge buffer for right for later in the season plus ariel i want to add something to what you said you want to return on investment well I, I know one of the articles you wrote was that for fab one of the best returns on investments are picking up relief pitchers now usually the turnover is probably going to be in may or june and that's when you start seeing the turnover but you know what for those first two months just like you said you're going to be able to get those counting stats those 
if they lose if the closers lose their jobs you're not losing those saves you may lose the the the, the player in that position but you're not losing the saves and it's a hundred percent worth it to just hold on to the named closers for opening day just for at least one or two months yeah the thing about fab is that closers are uh, are good investments on the waiver wire if you don't overspend on the waiver wire, right? Mm. If you're going to spend 15% of your budget on a closer on the waiver wire, that does not become a good investment. If you only invest 5% of your budget on a closer, it becomes a good investment. So the trick is to see some potential closers somewhere in the middle of the season and float them in when either a closer is struggling or whatnot um, and get those guys on your squad cheaper a week earlier if you can, um, and, and then they become good investments. The, the, the waiver wire investments, I, I think, are, are the worst. Are the Oh, my God, they just brought up this prospect. Everybody grab him, yeah. and, and it goes in a frenzy. How many times did that turn to success? Yes, Juan Soto was a huge success. Absolutely. It doesn't happen as often as you think, and people waste an enormous amount of budget on them. Uh, fab is one of the better uh, – closers are one of the better uh, uh, investments on fab that you can do. Um, so um, one question to you, Alex, is how much is a, a relief pitcher's ratios, what he does in terms of – uh, strikeouts, uh, sorry, uh, ERA and whip, and, and I'd say even strikeout ratio as well. How much of it is a, are those numbers a concern for you when you're drafting, or are you really just almost all of it looking at what his closer role is and will he get a save? Um, for, usually, to be honest, it actually is the latter, but I think it's it's entirely contextual about how you're building your SP staff, right? If you're building it with volatile pitchers who have really high ceilings but really low floors, I prefer to anchor that with guys who are going to be better ratio guys, right? So if you want to get like a Devin Williams in a saves hold league or if you want to get like a Liam Hendricks or even like an Edwin Diaz for the um, – uh, for the strikeouts, I think that gives you the opportunity to say, okay, you know what? I can actually afford a Tyler Molly. Um, I can actually afford, I don't know, like a um, maybe like an, I don't know, Eliezer Hernandez or someone who's got like a large floor, large ceiling as well. Uh, now, if you're in the opposite direction where, you know, you're, you're, drafting a little bit more conservatively than or actually I should say excuse me if the SPs have a little bit better of a floor I'm really just kind of getting those stats I just want to gather as many saves as possible so I really think it just kind of comes down to how you personally prefer to draft yeah Ruvain um what about you and and another question for you Ruvain is um at what point or would you draft a very valuable middle reliever instead of a named closer even if it's a, not a great one I think it depends on your whole roster construction. If you're light on strikeouts from your starting pitching, then you know what? Those higher le those higher leverage relievers that get all the strikeouts, they're going to benefit you a lot. Like a couple of years ago, Dylan Betances was one of the most valuable relief pitchers, and I think he maybe had one or two saves the entire season. Tre um, I think it was uh, Trevor Miller. He, he when he was when he was doing really well, he um, he was so good. He was so Andrew valuable. Miller. And he wasn't, Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller. Sorry, Andrew. Trevor Miller didn't make it. I'm sorry. Trevor Miller didn't pitch well at all. It was <laughs> Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller, when he when he was with the, he was with the Red Sox for a little bit, and 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 he was with the or I think it was with the Orioles as well. Um, he just did so well, and he racked up so many strikeouts, and he was just so valuable. And he was able to you can play that type of play, that pitcher if you don't like a pitcher that's uh, starting that week. They have a bad match or something like that. You throw that guy in, he can e get the equivalent amount of strikeouts for that bad start pitcher, and keep your ERA and WHIP intact. Yeah, so my feeling is that the math tells you that there are 
middle relievers who are worth playing, even if they don't get saves. Mm-hmm. However, however, I would not pay for them at a draft. I would not spend any draft capital. Yes. Because, sure, you can pay for an Andrew Miller, and you can pay for a middle reliever that's awesome, but you don't have to. There's always going to be somebody that is going to turn into the next Devin Williams that you can get in season for nothing. I mean, I, I got Devin Williams in like three leagues last year for nothing. I picked him up on the waiver wire. Um, you're better off not spending draft capital rather than putting any money to it in, in the draft. Now, that's not to say that I think it's a bad idea to draft the middle reliever. Um, I sometimes do that. If I don't have enough closers and I don't particularly love my starting pitching staff, I, I'll, I will draft a, a middle reliever to help my ratios in the first week, but I'll do it with the very last pick. I won't spend any amount of draft capital whatsoever. Why, why have to? Yeah, I, I really couldn't agree more. I mean, how many people can honestly say before all of the drafts in 2020 that Devin Williams was a guy that they were targeting? You know what I mean? That Devin Williams right. was a guy who was going to be the guy. And you're right. There are just, especially in bullpens nowadays, go take your pick of anyone in the Rays bullpen and you're going to be fine. Go, You can get an Aaron Bummer. You can get an Emmanuel Classe. Like all of those guys are free in regular 12-team leagues. You don't need, and, and to be honest, that's also kind of why I don't mind taking guys, who, especially if you have enough IL spots, who are going to be on the IL a little bit earlier, barring, you know, assuming you can get them late enough in drafts, because then you can fill those spots either with those middle relievers or with starting pitchers who have easy schedules to start the year, assuming that that's going to be your one streaming spot. Right. Let's talk a little bit about some specific uh, closer situations. And Tampa Bay is a very interesting one because uh, I don't think that they're going to pick one. I think that they're actually literally going to uh, have. Anderson have a couple of saves. Castillo have a couple of saves. Fairbanks have a couple of saves. And maybe the the ball boy in left field have a couple of saves. <laughs> and the guy giving the towels have a couple of saves. And that brings us to the injury guy, the injury guru's trivia question of the week. So the Rays are very different than every other major league team. They use so many different closers to close uh, pitchers to close games. Alex, this is a specific question to you. Let's see if you know this answer. How many Rays collected a save last year? How many Rays? So, oh, so in 60 the 20- game season. 60 game season, how many Rays collected a save? Okay, so I I'm pretty sure that in the 2019 it was 11 so if it was 11 in 2019 uh i'm gonna say that it was about half that and i'm gonna say i'll say five no it's more than that it's more than that you were close when you said 11 it was 12 12 pitchers picked up a save 12 guys look at the the stats 12 guys had at least (laughs) one save on the Rays. So and the, and the they top passed pick, think, their mark. Oh my! They god. had twelve in, yes. in, 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 in a third of the season, sixty oh games. Oh my god! Right? But I mean, but, you know what? It worked. They got to the World Series. It worked. They 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 mixed and they matched. And just because they don't have a set closer, it doesn't mean it doesn't work. If if a pitcher gets hot, Kevin Cash will just go with him, and that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to use that pitcher until he's not hot anymore, or he decides the analytics are not right for him anymore, and they'll just change it around, and it seems to work. And you know what? 
when was the last time the Rays actually paid for a bullpen guy? I mean, you want to talk about maybe Fernando Rodney was the last guy they actually paid for somebody to be in the bullpen. All their guys, they're bringing up these guys who throw 100 miles an hour, and each one of them can get a save. Peter Fairbanks is worth a lot. Diego Castillo is worth a lot. Nick Anderson, they all have great ratios, and anyone can make can close on any team in the majors, not just the Rays. Uh, just so much so, too, that they even got rid of Alvarado, too. They were like, yeah, we don't need him. Yeah. We, we got plenty of others. It's crazy. And, and Angel Pagan. And Angel Pagan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emilio Pagan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm mixing up all the names. It's, it, was a lo- it was a long draft. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, here's what I do notice about the Rays. If you look at the pricing and what the ATC shows um, against what they're really going for in the market, even with a reduced save count, like I have F- Peter Fairbanks pegged for 10 saves, okay, which is a share of the saves, a third, a quarter, whatever it is. He's still a bargain if you buy him where he's going, which is almost free in a in a twelve team league and close to free in in a fifteen team mixed league. Diego Castillo also thirteen saves. He's still a bargain. He's like a six dollar auction price in what we just did a twelve twelve team league, but he's going for like a dollar. Nick Anderson also a bargain if you give him just about a third of the saves share. So these guys have good ratios. And will give you a hint of saves. That's actually very valuable. And I think more valuable people think. I think that people are shying away from these guys saying, well, I don't know who it's going to be. It's going to be everybody. But if you combine the ratios plus the fact that I think that they're all guaranteed a save share, and it's pretty, it's going to happen, right? They're all going to get 10, at least 10 or so. Mm-hmm. I think that they're still of value. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also are, are you guys particularly anti-saves hold leagues? Is there a place for them or, or you're okay with them? I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I don't think we've ever played in one because it's just so relatively new. But, you know, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting idea. It's just like having a win-slash-quality start type league because not all pitchers go five innings anymore. Yeah, I, I'm I'm more interested in a way in a wins quality starts league than saves hold. I think that's more of an important issue today. But I, I, to me, I'm I'm of the opinion of give me the rules and and I'll I'll find a way to win. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take on that kind of thing. I want to move to the Minnesota bullpen. I personally think that Minnesota is going to do the same thing that that uh, Tampa Bay is doing. You know, Ron Garden hires is a, an analytics guy from the Rays, right? I think that this is going to be a situation where they have Colome, they have Rogers, they've got Duffy Rose to a lesser extent, and they're going to just mix and match, and Colome is going to get a share, and Rogers is going to get a share. Maybe Colome will get more than half, but he's not going to get a full season worth. Um, I really think they're going to do the same thing. Your, your thoughts? Yeah, for me personally, I kind of think that this harkens to a situation that we were kind of talking about before where um, it's almost like what the Braves had done in the past where like Mark Melanson wasn't necessarily always their best closing option, but he always got the saves because they were using their more high leverage guys earlier, their Will Smith, their Chris Martins a little bit earlier. And I think I think we can probably both agree that when it comes to pure stuff, Taylor Rogers is the better pitcher, right? Than Alex Colomay. Alex Colomay right. has the cutter that's been working for him forever. And Taylor Rogers is the, you know, the slider and uh, and that's pretty much it, but a nice slider. 16.1% swing strike rate last year, right. about 20% swing strike rate in 2019. So for me, I think it's going to be like when it comes to a, an actual save situation and they've made it to the ninth, then Rodgers may get there. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was utilized more as the, uh, you know, the the fireman throughout the year, leaving Colome more of the bulk of the uh, the saves by the year's end. You agree, Ruben? 
Well, I think it's going to be a big issue with the lefty-righty issue here. I think because Rogers is a lefty and because Colomay is a righty, and there's still the three-batter minimum rule, I think that Colomay will get the bulk of the saves, but Rogers may come in and get like an inning and a third save. Colomay may only pitch the ninth inning, but I can see Rogers going the full inning and a third, that type of thing, because he's because he's a lefty. Um, I, and I think, I think, I think they even may try to get Hansel Robles right again. He can be a good pitcher when he's with the Mets. Not so much. When he's with the Angels, he was actually very good and very effective. And if they can get him in the right frame of mind and they can turn him around like they've done in other people with that bullpen, then I think he is a sleeper to get some saves also. Angels have turned some people into good pitchers, I'll tell you that. Mm. Um, uh, no, so I, I, if I had to guess, it's going to be two-thirds, one-third. But I think that what they're going to do is, I think that it's going to be your day. Kyle May will go two of the days, Rogers will go one of the day, and they'll alternate. Yep. I really think they're going to do that situation. But let's do uh, four more quick hits, just quickly what do you think's going on. Uh, the Atlanta situation. I, I think Will Smith is more of a thing than Martin, but um, unclear. If I had to bet on anybody, I would bid Will Smith, but I'm I'm not fully into either of them. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I don't think any of those guys I'm really spending the price at their current ADP because I think that could be more of an even 50-50 split. Uh, in saves hold leagues, I think both of them are highly valuable. And oh, that. Sorry. I give him Chris Martin, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a little out because of where they're going right now. I think they both have nice upside. Right. Of course, we're talking about saves-only leagues here. Mm -hmm. If you're in a saves-plus-hold leagues, these guys are all gems. I mean, Taylor Rogers is is a phenomenal player in a saves-plus-hold league. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter where he comes in. He's going to get it. Any of the guys in the Rays are fin fantastic also. So yeah. it, it's really a, it's a more of a bigger, bigger problem for the saves-only. Uh, Ruvain, just, uh, you agree? Well, I think they're going to do more what the Rays do, and I think they have a couple other closers on this on this roster that they can use. I mean, A.J. Minter was very good last year. A.J. Minter was their, quote-unquote, anointed closer two years ago. He's a sleeper to close. And Luke Jackson, yeah, he didn't do that great as a closer for a whole period of time. He didn't, He's not a strikeout guy, but he racked up a whole bunch of saves and was very valuable a couple of years ago. He put on like 15 men uh, every time he came up. Uh, Jeff Erickson had a term. He called him Action Jackson. So, uh, <laughs> but he got uh, the job done. But he got the job done. Right. Uh, St. Louis, um, you outbid us and won Jordan Hicks in the labor auction. I guess you think he's the guy. I do. I, you know, it's funny. Every time we think that uh, the Cardinals seem like they're going to make the more analytically driven decision, they don't. Like, it seems like they might just be one of those organizations that still believes in, like, capital C closer. Um, I think Hicks has the best stuff of all of them, although Ryan Helsley and uh, Giovanni Gallegos, I think, obviously have great stuff as well. Hicks, I think, you know, you guys clearly remembered because you were bidding there with us. His, his yeah. stuff is electric, right? His stuff is absolutely electric. He's closer stuff. Um, I don't really see Alex Reyes getting the bulk of those shares. I still think they may want to turn him into a long relief guy. Uh, so, I mean, this is all conjecture, of course, but if I'm a betting man like I was tonight, I'm putting my money on Hicks. Yeah. Uh, we had Stefania Bell on the show uh, earlier this week, and uh, she thinks that Hicks looks uh, fine and uh, because of the layoff from last year um, is in a better shape. You agree, Ruvain? Yeah, his velocity. I think he threw the ball 102 the other day. I think he's perfect. I think he's perfectly yeah. fine. I think he's healthy. Um, but I think though, I think they're going to try to ease him back into the close role. He's not going to pitch every other day. Uh, he's he's going to pitch every other day. He's not going to pitch um, through two days in a row, three days in a row. So you're going to see people like Giovanni Gallegos get, um, getting some Good saves. Point. You're going to see point. maybe Andrew Miller 
Now I got it right this time. The Andrew Miller get a couple <laughs> saves here and there because, you know, they're going to have some double headers this season. And it's seven inning games and they're going to try to use these pitchers and have like a, a just a bullpen game sometimes where you have possibly John Gantt starting a game, pitching three, four innings, give it to Ryan Helsley, let Andrew Miller see if he can finish the game so they can save the rest of the bullpen for the second part of the, for the second game of the double header. So you'll see a lot of different mixing and matching. And I think everyone is just trying to copy the Rays. Two more. Boston. Matt Barnes, Adam Ottavino, I think it's clearly Matt Barnes. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, they might give Ottavino some chances, but I think he has to prove that he's back up to the task, which I think he can be. But I think at the end of the day, yeah, it's probably Barnes's job to lose. He's one of those guys you talked about at the beginning. You can take him later on in drafts and see what it looks like in the first couple of weeks. Right. Moving? Yeah, it's no question. It's gonna be, it's gonna, I think it's going to be Matt Barnes. Ottavino wasn't even that great. If he can rediscover the way his slider was when he was in Colorado, then he has a chance of supplanting Barnes, but otherwise it's Barnes's job to lose. Hector Neris has had a lot of saves in Philadelphia the last couple of years, and he's still around. Is Philadelphia going to give him it, or are they going to pass the torch on to Archie Bradley, or are they going to do some kind of share and have Kinsler and Alvarado in the mix as well? What do you think, Alex? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think how quickly we forget that once uh, after Hector Neris came back from, I think it was a demotion in 2019, he had like, I believe it was a pretty electric second half of the season. He had yeah. like a near 2.5 ERA. He was striking out dudes left and right. I believe it was a splitter that was just working for him. So I think they're going to give him the shot. It's also like, listen, Archie, Archie Bradley is not really like a, a fantastic reliever. You know what I mean? No, He's not no. someone that's really going to knock your socks off. So I wouldn't be surprised if Hector Neris can show that he can find the form that he had in that second half of 2019. I think it's his job to lose. So, so Ruben, what do you do? Do you go after one or the other? Uh, what are you doing with the whole Philadelphia situation? Because it's a good situation. I think whoever it's going to be, I, I don't think it's a situation where they're going to split. I think that we're going to find out it's one of them, and that guy is going to be valuable. So what do you do in that situation? I think you just bet on Hector Neris because he has, he's been there before. He's been with the team before. Archie Bradley is new. He's much better in the eighth inning. When he was with Arizona, he was an eighth inning guy, and he was a lights-out eighth inning guy. He was perfect for that because he's, he's not really a, a true strikeout guy. Jose Alvarado, on the other hand, coming from also from Tampa, he can have electric stuff also. He was the closer for, I think, what was it, a month in, in Tampa, whatever it was, and he can be a very good closer also. Kinsler was very, very effective in Florida, in Miami last year. Mm. So there's a whole bunch of guys, but I think it's Hector Neris. And again, just like the Boston situation, I think it's Hector Neris' job to lose. But I think what they did in Philadelphia is that Philadelphia bullpen was so bad the last couple of years. Yeah. They just wanted to try a whole bunch of guys and try to get some more stability just so they know if this guy doesn't work, okay, we actually have a backup to go to someone else. Yeah, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. I, I had to, if I had to guess, I'd say Neris, but I don't know. And I'm, I'm typically staying away from the Philadelphia situation. I'd rather bet on the Boston situation than the Philadelphia situation this year. And uh, I think it's about the same price as as far as what you have to pay to get these closers anyway. So I'll, I'll bet on that side. Uh, anything else to add, Alex, in terms of the whole uh, reliever landscape that we have? No, no. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you need closers, so you can't ignore it. Uh, I think that everyone's just in the same boat uh, with what to do. And uh, again, my recommendation is bid on one surefire situation, uh, preferably up top if you can, um, and just throw a bunch of darts, especially if you're in a shallow league. They're cheaper and they're easy to do. If you're in a, a little bit deeper league or an AL-only league, all well, the more reason you got to get that guy up top and, you know, Throw your darts. Uh, there's no reason to pay up for the middle for uncertain situations this year, and the whole middle is uncertain this year. 
Yep, you just have to grab the ones that are you know are going to get the saves in the beginning. You know they have the job. And at this point, listen, we're drafting. It's still the beginning of March right now. And we're drafting closers as if we know what's going to go on. A lot of these teams haven't even named their closers yet. This is all speculation. We're going on what was happening in the past. We're going on what type of stuff they had in prior years. We don't know if the changing of the, the de quote-unquote deadening of the ball is going to do anything. Is it going to make people's sinkers heavier? If it does, Archie Bradley is going to be good. You know, it, there's certain things that you don't know yet and we don't know yet whether or not the ball has actually changed because right now in spring training the ball's flying out of the park already well alex thank you for coming on the show after a five and a half hour <laughs> online auction uh which was which was tough uh you know usually when we do these you know you just go straight through and there's two or three breaks or so um but we, we braked for a while because it was being uh aired on sirius xm so we, we go three rounds and break for 10 minutes and do the same thing and it just dragged on here and then we had a bunch of technical issues but uh th thank you for coming on the show and uh why don't you uh, tell everybody uh what you're uh, doing these days for fantasy baseball yeah, Phil, so thanks so much for having me. It was great to be here. And, uh, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at AlexFast8. And then the uh, Sunday Night Baseball broadcasts are fast approaching. You can see my work there on Sunday Night Baseball. I'm going to be doing the pitcher overlays for them, so very excited about that. But until that point, trying to get as many pitching gifts as I can from spring training uh, out into the world. <laughs> so that's that's where you'll find me. Oh, very excited to uh, watch Sunday Night Baseball this year, and and you know my my buddy Alex Fast is doing stuff on there, so I'm really excited <laughs> to uh to to watch the show. Um, Ruvain, why don't you uh, plug your stuff? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I'm tweeting out daily updates as they come in from spring training about injuries, who's coming up next after injuries. You can also catch my weekly article in Roto Bowler, which comes out during season weekly, and right now it's packed with stuff going on in spring training and again if you want to hear more about it listen to our last podcast with stefania bell she was great she's a great injury person and you know what injuries happen especially to closers look at jordan hicks he's coming off an injury he's healthy now watch out for that and just keep following us for more information all right, and uh, my name is Ariel Cohen. You can find me at uh, Fangraphs, at Rotoballer, at CBS Sportsline. ATC projections are up. And, uh, hey, prepare for your draft and uh, download them. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, once again, Alex Fast, thank you so much for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.